Welcome to Wednesdays with Winnie, the podcast that covers, well, quite a lot, from fallacies and grad parties to Aquinas, Aristotle, friendships, and even Subway cookies. My hope for you is that you can sit back, relax, learn a little, laugh a little, or a lot, and come away with a lot more knowledge. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Wednesdays with Winnie. Oh my goodness, guys, I am so, so excited. We are in the GCU recording studio. So finally, finally, we are here recording in an actual studio. I feel very, very professional. The walls are all covered in foam. Made it to the big leagues. No, just kidding. I've always... A long ways to go before I get there, but we are in an actual, actual podcast studio. What in the dang heck? This is pretty cool. Um, so I thought we would just start out by telling you that amazing, first off, all that amazing news, and then I thought it would be really cool today to kind of talk about um, Catholics and Protestants and the differences between them. And then also I do have a fun story. Actually, I'm gonna say the story first. I This week, I put on a surprise party with one of my roommates, she helped me. And we put on a surprise party for our friend whose birthday it was. And let me tell you, if you put on a surprise party, it's probably a good idea not to tell the person that you're surprising to not do anything that night but I feel like everything that went like not wrong but it was very like leading up to the surprise it was very obvious that like the person that was being surprised kind of knew they were being surprised number one because I didn't want her to plan anything so I told her hey don't plan anything tonight and don't ask questions and that was probably not a good move and number two she was in our dorm room actually this happened like the other day and we had the cake in the fridge And one of my roommates went to open the fridge with the cake in it while she was standing there like she had forgotten. And so I shut the fridge (laughs) as sneakily as possible, but then she got suspicious. So she was like kind of expecting it, but then I don't think she was expecting everything that happened because it was a very big and exciting surprise. Like we had a bunch of friends. It was all so nice. We just got to play games and we ate cake and like dinner and it was very, very wonderful. But that is my, my fun story of the week. And now with that said, let's get into the differences between Catholics and Protestants. Because being at GCU, I've noticed that there's like a lot of misconceptions on both sides. So I've had some interesting discussions. And just to clarify, I identify as a Roman Catholic. So I'm part of the Roman Catholic Church. But I am very passionate about discovering the differences between the two and just researching and the history behind both churches. So I thought it would be cool to bring that information to you guys today. So one thing right off the bat I want to get out there is that both are Christians, meaning that they believe in the foundational beliefs of the Trinity, that Jesus mainly, that Jesus Christ was fully human and fully divine, and that he died for the salvation of humanity, and that God is one person in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they take the Bible and sacred scripture to be divine revelation revealed by God. And 
they are different. I, I find this misconception a lot, but sometimes people tend to identify Catholics in the same group as they would identify, say, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And neither of these groups are Christian in the sense that they neither believe in the fully human and divine aspects of Christ, nor do Mormon, in the case of Mormons, believe he was the actual son of God. So there are some major... Um, disparities between the group of Catholics and Protestants, which are Christians, and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, which are not. So what makes Catholics Christians is a, they were, the the Catholic Church was literally the, one of the main Christian groups for 1600 years. Um, And B, they also were practicing and preserving the Bible for hundreds of years, and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are very new religions comparatively, and they also do not believe in the same beliefs we as Christians believe. So, as far as Catholicism goes, there are a couple different groups of Catholics. So there are Roman Catholics, which is by far the most common and popular denomination. And then there are Armenian Catholics, Byzantine Catholics, Coptic, Ethiopian, Ethiopian, East Syriac or Chaldean Catholics, West Syriacs, and Maronites. And those are groups that are subsets of Catholicism. And as far as Protestants, Protestant groups go, there are more common ones like Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Evangelical Free. But then there are also thousands, and by thousands I'm not joking, thousands of other subgroups of Protestants. According to the Association of Religious Data Archives, there are around 35,496 different Protestant denominations. So there are definitely more denominations of Protestants than there are Catholics, um, and their teachings vary widely um, because a lot of Protestantism or Protestants uh, are more free in their interpretation of the Bible, and because of that, and that less structure, the Protestant Church is certainly less structured than the Catholic Church as a whole, just because there are so many denominations, and this can be seen as like a good or a bad thing, depending on your view of it. But um, some statistics on Christians: fifty point one percent of the world's Christians are Catholics. So fifty point one percent of all the Christians in the world identify as Catholics. Um, Thirty-six point seven identify as Protestants. So any of the things we mentioned above, and then one point three are not identified with these major, um, with any of these. They don't identify. They identify as neither Catholic nor Protestant. And this is according to Pew Research Center's 2011 census. So now that we have those kind of statistics out there about Catholics and Protestants in the world, I thought it would be interesting to go over the history of what led to the Protestant Reformation and the split between Catholicism and Protestants. So the Protestant Reformation began, I would say, and this is one of the most... um, instrumental moments where Protestantism really took a break from the Catholic Church. They went different ways. But I w- October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther, who was a monk and a teacher, published a document called The Disputation on the Power of Indulgences. And this document is more commonly known as the 95 Theses. So he nailed this to the door of a church. And the document was a series of 95 ideas about Christianity that he invited people to debate with him. And these ideas were controversial because they, a lot of them directly contradicted the Catholic Church's teaching on a number of things, not necessarily just indulgences, although that was a teaching in particular that did alarm Luther a lot. 
and as well as the Pope's role in that. So kind of I'll explain indulgences a little bit and what was happening at that point of time in church history. So at the time, um, the previous Pope, so before Luther, the previous Pope had begun to reform the church a lot because the Catholic Church was at the time very corrupt. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it was full of just holy men and women but there was a lot of um, pal- bishops had palaces. They lived in op- opulent lifestyles, very wealthy, and they were very disconnected with the poor. At least these bishops were not every person in the Catholic Church, but they were very disconnected with the poor and with people in the church that were laity. And this is definitely not right. It's certainly not something today that is what the Catholic Church condones or wants for its priests and bishops, and they do not allow them to live and wealth like that. But at the time, it was a very corrupt, uh, a corrupt church, like things were wrong with it. And the indulgences in particular, so Leo X, he was part of the Medici family in Italy, and he had just recently been elected as Pope. And he was continuing to reform because his predecessor um, realized the corruption within the church and tried to reform it. So bishops and um, cardinals and would have less monetary power and that was a big thing that was happening at the time but indulgences were still being granted when people would donate to a building fund and the Lateran Council tried to address this and it addressed like power within the church as well but Leo X continued his allowed indulgences to continue and gave them to people who contributed alms to a a construction project that needed more funding, which was the rebuilding of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And I want to read a uh, quote from Luther. I do not bring accusation against the outcries of preachers, which I have not heard, so much as I grieve over the wholly false impression that the people have conceived from them. To wit, the unhappy souls believe that if they have purchased letters of indulgences, they are sure of their salvation. Again, so that soon as they cast their contributions into the money box, souls fly out of purgatory. Furthermore, that these graces have been so great that there is no sin too great to be absolved. And this teaching of indulgences was a big misunderstanding and problem within the Catholic Church. Catholicism as a whole did not address this situation correctly at the time. Indulgences are something as defined by the Catechism of the Catholic Church, an indulgence is something that remits temporal punishment of sin. So as Catholics, we believe that sin has two forms of punishment, both temporal and eternal. Eternal punishment is hell. So if your sins are not forgiven and you don't ask for forgiveness, you go to hell. That's eternal punishment. But temporal punishment is um, a concept today that a lot, not a lot of people are familiar with, but temporal punishment is the consequences of sin that come to us in this world, in the world of time. And they are not the same as eternal punishment. But if you do something bad, I, would, I always kind of imagine it as this analogy. If you say you have a nail in you, forgiveness and confession is taking the nail out of you. You still have that hole from the nail in you. And that hole is like it's still there. It's still in your arm. And so removing the t- so that that's that temporal punishment, that hole. So indulgences are a way to remove that 
that punishment, but the way the church went about it, as in only allowing money to grant that, was not in line or correct. The church still does indulgences, but more most commonly in indulgences granted by reading the sacred scriptures, attending confession or mass, or doing holy works, not in the same way of just donating to a building fund. And the church did, at the time, they did scare people into doing that by by not teaching the correct teaching on indulgences and by not being clear about what indulgences were and were not. And the the teaching of indulgences, but it kind of comes from the book of Hebrews, and it contains a meditation on the fact that God still rebukes and disciplines his children in order to produce holiness in them, stating that he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness even though at the moment of discipline it seems painful rather than pleasant. And that's Hebrews 12, 10 through 11. So that was kind of the problem with indulgences, the miscommunication on both sides. And Luther, however, still the Catholic Church cleared this up with him. They sent him a letter and tried to explain indulgences, but Luther at that time refused to receive the letter. The most heretical opinion Luther held was that apostolic power in succession, so the belief that Jesus bestowed power upon Peter and whom Peter passed down to the future popes, Luther believed that this was not valid. So that was one of the most controversial opinions he held in relation to the Catholic Church. Indulgences is not a foundational belief within the church, so him disagreeing with it was not necessarily as big of a deal as him disagreeing with apostolic succession and the teachings regarding that within the Catholic Church. So after Luther, Protestant reform in England began again with Henry VIII in 1534. And this was actually a sticky situation, but Henry VIII wanted to divorce his wife, Catherine, who was the daughter of King Ferdinand and Queen Isabel in Spain. He wanted to divorce her because he had a mistress and he wanted to marry his mistress. And he had a daughter with her, Mary, who later became a queen of England. But he wanted to divorce her because she could not produce a male heir and because he had a mistress that he wanted to marry. And the Catholic Church did not allow him under their rule to do this. They did not think that it was ethical or part of marriage. And they did not grant him an annulment, which is like a separation at the, in those times. So they didn't grant him an, an annulment because they believed his marriage to Catherine was still valid. And so Henry VIII separated from the Catholic Church and created his own church, which is better known today as the Anglican Church or the Church of England. And he did not take the authority of the Pope and separated. So that started a lot of the Protestant Repre- Reformation in England. And after that, John Calvin came. He started Calvinism, a belief that holds predestination to be center. And the belief of predestination is kind of that is that God has already decided people will go to heaven or earth or excuse me, heaven or hell before they are born. Like I will go to heaven like I'm for sure guaranteed no matter what I do. But maybe John over there won't. And he he believed that God had like predestined people for heaven. And as like after John Calvin, other subgroups were started and they just started to break off and create new doctrines and teachings that they interpreted the Bible to say or contain. And I just want to end this kind of historical thing by saying that there is no doubt that the Catholic Church was in need of a reform. 
It was very corrupt at the time Luther, Luther posted his theses, but there's there's definitely no doubt on the Re- Reformation that it needed, but there is a doubt in my mind on whether the Reformation needed to be so broad and so vague. So now I want to get into some differences between Protestants and Catholics and kind of some fundamental beliefs that each of them do and don't believe. So one of the biggest things that we believe differently on is the Eucharist. So the Eucharist is better known as communion, the bread and the wine. So Protestants, a foundational difference is that the Catholic Church believes that communion is not merely a memorial or a remembrance of Jesus, but that communion is the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ and is transformed from bread and wine during the Mass. We believe this because of a teaching of multiple teachings found throughout the Old and New Testament, and especially this verse, John 6, 54 through 56, where Jesus says, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have, except if you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you. He that is eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And that is a little graphic. But throughout the New Testament, Jesus does say that his body, that bread is his body and that wine is his blood. And he calls the apostles to eat and drink of that. Protestants believe that this is not taken to not to be taken in the literal sense, but more of a spiritual sense, and that communion is a memorial of this sacrifice, and it helps us bond with church members. So it's a communion with church members and a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice. So they do not believe that it is the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ, at least most of the time, in most sects sects. So there are different sects, and because there are so many different groups of Protestants, it is hard to know. Um, There's not many foundational Protestant beliefs that all of them hold. But for the most part, these are what most of them believe, most major groups. So one of the main differences, another main difference, is the Bible. So in the Bible, the New Testament is the same. Catholics and Protestants both have the same New Testament and Old Testament. But, or not Old Testament, New Testament, excuse me, but the Old Testament is different. Catholics have the books of Tobias, Judith, Baruch, Ecclesiasticus, Wisdom, and First and Second Maccabees, and additions to Esther and Daniel. The reason Protestants don't have these is because when Martin Luther translated the Bible into German, he took out part, he took out these books, these seven books, because he wanted to make the Bible conform more to his theology. And these books had been in the Bible since the beginning, like church fathers put them into the Bible. They stayed in the Bible for a very long time. But they, some of these teachings in these books were not compatible with his teaching that salvation is by faith alone. And this brings me to another, another point, a very controversial point that I have had great discussions with many Protestants about and that I very much enjoy <laughs> discussing with people. But yes, I'm a little feisty sometimes. But that is faith alone. So Protestants believe that faith alone is what justifies us. And I want to make the clarification justifies because a lot of people just say faith alone works alone. But in this context, we're talking about what justifies us, what, what makes us able to achieve salvation. And 
Catholics, I'm going to surprise you all here that are Protestants, Catholics believe that neither faith nor works alone merit justification. Woo, that's surprising. It surprised me a little bit when I learned this because I didn't always know this. But Catholics believe it is by the mercy and sacrifice of God that we are justified. Our faith in God and his mercy does allow for this, but it is not our faith that saves us. It is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And works will be evident. That's This is why a lot of people think that Catholics believe in faith and works. But Catholics believe works will be evident in the life of someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but there are no works evident in your life, are you really a follower of Jesus Christ? I would put forward the argument that no, one who is a true follower of Jesus Christ, whether Protestant or Catholic, one who is a true Christian will be working to follow the Bible. And the Bible does call us to feed the hungry, clothe the naked. And these things are works. We Works are evident in our lives as a Christian, but to think that these works are what saves us is not the case. It is the sacrifice, excuse me, it is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone that can save us. Or not, actually, I hesitate to say alone. It is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that saves us. And next, or I guess that's kind of, maybe I want to spend a little more time on this, but that's kind of why there's such a big misconception about what Catholics believe about faith and works. And I'm not sure how it got to the point where it where it did today, but the reality of the situation is that Catholics do not believe works justify us, but they believe that works are a very central part to our lives as a Christian. God called us to speak and to evangelize and to be with the needy, the hungry, the broken, those that need Jesus the most. And to say that all you need is faith, like if you just say, Jesus is Lord, you're set for life, is that a rational belief to hold when the Bible teaches us so such different things? Just proclaiming you have faith in Jesus doesn't mean you are sort of salvation. I think that it is a lifelong endeavor. Being a Christian is not a one and done deal where you can say, oh, I have faith in Jesus, I accept him, and you're saved for life. You have to continually work to uphold your morals and values that the Bible has shown us to be true and right. And if we are doing what the Bible says, we will be working hard to serve others in our communities. And thinking that you can just say, oh, I'm saved, that's it. That's a very naive belief and a very presumptive belief as well. So those are some differences on faith and faith alone, I guess, in particularly. But that is a fundamental doctrine of Protestantism. Luther, um, sola scriptura and faith alone are things that Luther thought were very foundational to his teachings and to Lutheranism. So another thing is Mary and the Saints. Ooh, okay, this is exciting. All right, Mary and the Saints. So Protestants, don't really have any firm beliefs on Mary or the saints because there's so many different ones. But Catholics, we sure do. We got you guys. So Catholics believe they do not worship Mary, first of all. I want to get that out there. I know there's like so many little things about Catholics 
that people think but are not really true. I would love to do an episode actually on this with a Protestant and like kind of, I have so many friends that are Protestants, I should totally do this, but kind of debate, go back and forth, have a fun little a little talk. But Protestants do not believe in Mary and the saints. And they not that they don't believe in them, like they believe Mary existed, they're not denying her existence. But in the Catholic Church, Mary holds a very central role she is not she does not hold the central role that only belongs to god the father the son and the holy spirit but as jesus's mother we believe she is the closest anyone could ever be because he was her son he lived he was inside of her for nine months the relationship between the two of them is the closest no one can be closer to jesus than his mother and no one can love mary more than jesus as catholics we believe that And so we think that because Mary holds such a special place in Jesus's heart as his mother, we too believe and hold her in a high place of great esteem. And we do ask for intercession of Mary and intercession is a lot different than worshiping. We do not worship Mary. We do not worship the saints. Worship is reserved for God alone. But as someone who is close to God, we believe because Mary holds this special place in his heart, When we ask Mary to bring our prayers and petitions to Christ and to lay them at his feet, we trust in her ability to do this and we trust in the merits that this has. Mary is taking our wants, our petitions, and telling them and giving them to her son, which is, we, we of course can pray and it's still very powerful, but we believe that Mary has this this beautiful role in her son's life and in the role in the life of the church. Like even in the early church, she was present when the tongues of fire came down upon the apostles. She was present at her son's death. She was present in the apostles' early ministry. Mary has such a beautiful role in the church. And it is so, so sad to me that um, Protestants don't have this gift or this belief in such a loving and wonderful mother that Mary is. And the saints, so saints we define as anyone who's in heaven, but the Catholic Church for a whole has recognized saints only. And recognized saints are very holy people that have died. You have to die to become a saint, but they're very holy people that have died and are in heaven. And we believe because they're so close to Jesus, they also have a great power to bring our petitions and requests to him through prayer. So that's a little bit about Mary and the saints. Protestants don't have many strong beliefs but Luther did um, want to not eliminate, but take out a lot of belief in Mary just because he did not want to be associated as closely with the Catholic Church. So next is the sacraments. So Protestants have two sacraments. These two sacraments are baptism and communion. And the second, the Catholic Church has seven sacraments. The Catholic Church has baptism, confession, communion, confirmation, marriage, holy orders, and anointing of the sick. So that's another thing where we differ. Also, baptism in the Catholic Church is generally given to any baby, or when a baby is born, baptism is the first sacrament they receive. Um, Protestants hold differing views. Some of them baptize babies. Some of them don't think that it's right to baptize babies because they think that it is important for a child to make that decision for their own when they're old enough to decide. And um, communion, like we discussed earlier, they, they mean different things within both churches. But that is a, another difference, so baptism. And of course, the Pope, we already talked about that. But cat, 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 <laughs> all the, the 
the isms are mis- messing me up. But within Catholicism, the Pope is a central figure. So we talked about that. But those as a whole are some major differences. I actually really, really enjoyed doing this episode and learning a little more about both groups and kind of just presenting this information to you guys. I want this to be a place where you can come away learning things, and this is definitely one of those episodes. So thank you so much for listening, and I will end us in our our Bible verse. This is Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. One body and one spirit, as you were called in hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in us all. All right, that concludes this week's episode, and I will see you all next Wednesday. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wednesdays with Winnie. I would really appreciate it if you could leave a review on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on just to let me know how I'm doing. Anyways, God bless and see you next Wednesday.